like for you to turn to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I want to begin reading at verse 37. It may have been a damp February day when this Pharisee invited Jesus over to his house for lunch. And as the custom was, after lunch, with a kind of a gallery of other folks around, they discussed theological matters, and Jesus gave this message, maybe on a day like this. And I'd like for you to do something in the reading of this passage when, where it says, and woe to you Pharisees, that you would just translate it like this, woe to me if, woe to me if. Verse 37. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, but woe to me if you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God, but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for, the, for you love the front seats in the synagogue and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. In the preface of his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about the development of words. And he uses the word gentleman as an example. In the beginning, originally, the word gentleman was a word that was recognizable. You, it was really just giving some facts about a person. A person who was a gentleman was somebody who had a coat of arms or landed property, that is, property that was land. So if you said a person was a gentleman, you weren't passing on a compliment, you were just telling something about him. And if you said that he was not a gentleman, you were not insulting him, you were just stating facts. And in the evolution of time and this word, folks began to see that the most important thing about a man was not what he possessed, but how he acted. It was his behavior. And so in the refined new meaning of the word, it was more than stating a fact about a person, you, you use that word to praise him. You said he was a gentleman. And then in the evolution, that word became a word to designate all adult males. As somebody said, that word went all the way from a title of aristocracy to a label on a restroom door. I want to talk to you this morning about the evolution of another word. It's the word spiritual or spirituality a word we learned when we became a Christian and we said he is a spiritual man as opposed to a carnal man or uh, an ungodly man. 
And we have spent the rest of our life trying to find out what that word means, spiritual. In the Middle Ages, to a monk, the word spiritual meant self-denial, rigorous self-denial, and, and, and strict asceticism. The more miserable you were, the more spiritual you were. And so these guys headed out to the deserts and they crawled in, in these caves and in monasteries and they denied themselves. They wore kind of burlap-looking clothes, robes, and they went without food and water. The thirstier you were, the more spiritual you were. Then there were these guys who dwelt on top of pillars, not uh, pillars that you lie on at night, but pillars like these columns that you build in front of buildings. That's right, folks. They lived on top of these pillars. Just enough move, room to move around. They were called pillar saints. And, and, and sleep kind of in a, in a crouched, curled-up position sure would discourage sleepwalking. I read about a man who dwelt on the top of a pillar 36 years. And the, and the taller the pillar and the smaller the, the living space, the more spiritual you were. And then there were some who hung themselves off the edge of cliffs. I suppose that's where the term a real cliffhanger originated. I mean, they were. They literally hung off of cliffs. And the smaller the card that held them by the ankles, the more spiritual you were. And in the monastic order, these people were called the lunatic fringe, appropriately named. In the 16th century, you had the group called the quietists. Now, the quietists believed that spiritual folks, that spirituality was a matter of passive meditation, so they were quiet a lot. They never said anything. And these monks would go into these monasteries and live for years and never say a word. And the more you meditated in absolute silence, the more spiritual you were. In the 18th century, there was a group called the Shakers. To this group, spirituality was synonymous with uninhibited freedom and worship. And so their worship services were just like a three-ring circus. It was loud, and there was a lot of shouting and dancing and clapping and marching and barking. And sex was the cardinal sin, and celibacy was demanded. And as you can imagine, in about two decades, this group died out. But in Jesus' day... The most impressive, the most predominantly spiritual influence were the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees have gotten a lot of bad press. But these, this group was really a group that was committed to, the, to bringing the law as the rule to the world and were committed to establishing moral and, and religious order in the world. They were members of the middle class. And there were no intellectual giants among these people. And Jesus had some harsh words to say to the Pharisees. And this text is an example of the words he used toward the Pharisees. But I want us to remember this morning, and this is essential to understanding this message, that these Pharisees were people who were serious about their walk with God. They were serious about righteousness. And they had a burning zeal and desire to please God. And you say, if that's the truth, well, what was wrong with the Pharisees? What was the problem? Well, the problem was 
that their zeal and their desire for, for, for righteousness and for spirituality and for pleasing God was misdirected. It got off track. And so what Jesus said to the Pharisees is relevant to everyone in this place this morning who has a great desire to please God and to, and to be spiritual and to be righteous, lest that zeal and that desire and that passion become sidetracked. What does it mean to please God? Have you ever wondered if you pleased God or not? What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be spiritual? That word we use you know, with a great deal of uh, religious fervor, spiritual. What does that mean? Well, I think that we can find the answer to that, those questions by the response that Jesus made to the Pharisees. And there were four, really. The, fourth, the first has to do with washings. Now, these Pharisees had umpteen washings, ceremonies that they went through. had nothing to do with hygiene. It wasn't a matter of washing their hands before meals. It was a matter of... Cer- cleansing from ceremonial defilement. Because if a man, Jew, went to the marketplace and he happened to bump into a Gentile or touch something a Gentile had touched or a woman, they were defiled. And so before they ate, they took a a shell and a half, an eggshell and a half of water, and they poured that water out on the tips of their fingers and let it run down to their wrists. And they'd take their fist and grind it into the palms of their hands to cleanse. Then they'd take the water and pour it on the wrist and let it run down to the tips of their fingers, a part of the ceremonial washing. And when this Pharisee saw that Jesus did not do that, he challenged him. He said, why isn't it that you don't wash, go through the ceremonial cleansing? And Jesus' response was, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup but inside you're full of murder, wickedness, and robbery. Now here comes the first characteristic of spirituality. Spirituality is a matter of the heart. It is a condition of the heart. It's an inside job. Spirituality begins at the center and moves to the circumference rather than from the circumference moves. but inside they were wastelands and they knew it. And so they added external activity upon external activity and they added washing upon top of washing upon top of washing and they hoped that for all of these external activities they could be spiritual and God would be pleased. And if sometime you want to turn back to the seventh chapter of Mark, There you'll find that the Pharisees caught the disciples not washing, and so they came to Jesus and asked, Why is it that your disciples do not walk after the tradition of their elders, but eat bread with unclean hands? And Jesus, quoting from Isaiah, said, Isaiah prophesied concerning you hypocrites, for you honor me with your mouth, with your lips, but your heart is far from me, for spirituality is a matter of the heart. I heard a preacher tell that one day he was sitting in his office and he was kind of thinking about a sermon, you know, on Christianity, on being saved. And he said he decided he'd do something. He, he got his phone book. He lived in a large city. And it was a big old phone book. 
and he just started turning the pages and he put his finger on a number and he'd call it, pick that number at random. He'd answer the phone, he'd say, I'm taking a kind of a religious survey and I'd like to ask you one question if you don't mind, please. Would you give me your definition of a Christian? A Christian is fill in the blank. And he said, I got some responses I can't repeat. He said, you talk about some responses. A Christian is, I couldn't repeat the words. But he said, I got some responses that were interesting. He said, a Christian is, they asked, a Christian is somebody that gives money to the church. A Christian is somebody who never does anything wrong. A Christian is somebody who goes to church all the time. A Christian is somebody who never does wrong, anything, says anything wrong about his neighbor. He said, every single answer was external. He said, I was just hoping I'd hear somebody say, a Christian is someone who has had a transformation at the core of his being by the miracle of the new birth. But every answer was external. Spirituality is not adding religious activity upon religious activity. It is that mysterious miracle that occurs on the inside of a man's heart by the ministry and the miracle of the Holy Spirit. It's what's on the inside that counts. It's not even a sermon that by which you can, or a meditation by which you can escape what's on the inside. One guy said that he, he didn't know how you could cope with life if, if it weren't for the fact that for five hours he just kind of put his mind in neutral and just was oblivious to everything around him for five hours. It's not something by which we escape the reality of what's on the inside. It's confronting what's on the inside. Spirituality is a matter of the heart. The second response of Jesus to the Pharisees had to do with their observance of the tithe. It's found in verse 42. He said, you guys are just so detailed in your tithing. You tithe the tenth of the mint and the rue. Now, the mint and rue were little garden herbs, garden plants noted for their odor. I was reading somewhere in preparation for this sermon that, that sometimes little Jewish children would wear a, 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 a little piece of rue on their clothing because it smelled real good, kind of like an ancient world Old Spice Cologne, you know, or Chanel, number five. They, they put that on their clothing because it made them smell good. Now, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, you're so detailed, you're giving a tenth of the smell to God. Now, that's pretty detailed. You know, I mean, here they are giving a tenth of the, the odor, you know, tithing that to God, and they're really strict in their observance. And Jesus said, you ought to do this but in doing it, you have left off the most important thing that is justice and love for God. And Jesus said on another occasion, those two things are the basis of Old Testament law, loving God and treating your neighbor right. He said, one day a lawyer came to him and said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is saying is this, that you have left off the basic and you're doing all these things in minute detail. Now, 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 justice refers to this horizontal relationship between man and man 
And, and love of God refers to this vertical relationship between man and God. Now here comes the second characteristic of spirituality. Listen carefully. Spiritual folks are people who love God and treat their neighbor right. Pretty simple, isn't it? What happened to you when you were first saved? I can remember when I was first saved. It just changed my attitude toward others. I wanted to help people. When God really got a hold of my life, I was about a senior in high school. I wanted to visit shut-ins and a rest home. I just loved everybody. And I just couldn't get enough of God. I wanted to read the Bible, and I wanted to pray. I wanted to go to church. I just couldn't get enough of God. And you know what happens? Sometimes, even imperceptibly, along the way, we begin to put the emphasis on the institution rather than on the people. And we begin to put the emphasis on the program rather than the people, on the building of God rather than the God of the building, and that becomes more vital to us. Now, we wouldn't neglect the program or the institution for anything in the world. We've got a responsibility to that, but we are quick to neglect God and others. And when that man asked Jesus what is the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord God with all your heart and your neighbor. And somebody asked him, who is my neighbor? And he didn't give him a discourse on neighborliness. He told him a story. And the heart of that story was this, that here were two religious people who were so involved with keeping the institution going, they neglected the helpless. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's stabbing us awake to the reality that spiritual folks never really get away from the basics, which are these, loving God and treating others with respect. That's just as simple as that. And in the third chapter of the book of Revelations, Jesus speaks to the churches at, at Asia Minor and to the church at Ephesus. First, he says, watch this. He says, I know your labor, and it means the sweat of your toil, and I know your perseverance. You've hung in there under difficulties. And I know your orthodoxy. You won't let anybody in the congregation who is, not, who is not orthodox. But he said, this is what I have against you. You have left your first love. Now I want to say something parenthetically, and I want you to hear me carefully. There is a danger in, in working for the Lord. And the danger is that we are so... We put so much effort into the program and the institution and we work in our strength to the point that we get burnt out. Some of you are that away. And you're not going to neglect your duty and your responsibility to the church, but you're operating from an empty source, an empty well, and you're burnt out and you're tired, but you keep on. And there is a danger in orthodoxy, and the danger of orthodoxy is suspicion and mistrust and exclusion, and that's what we're seeing in Southern Baptist Convention right now. In our efforts to be sure that there are no liberals in places of leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention, the danger of that is that we have become suspicious and mistrustful and exclusive. And I need to say this, that there's something wrong with the Christianity of a man who finds delight in weeding out the so-called liberals and watching him fall. 
For a person who is spiritual, who pleases God, does find no joy or delight in seeing somebody fall. He weeps at the sight of that. Because spirituality means that I have this horizontal relationship with others that's like my relationship with God. And it never gets far from the basics. Loving God and treating our fellow man with love and respect. Third response. That third response is found in verse 43. I want to read it quickly. Read with me again. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. These folks were consumed with a desire to be noticed and applauded. I mean, we'll look real spiritual, and maybe some people will think we are, and then maybe we will be, see. And so they had the right verbiage, they had the right words, and they loved to be seen of men. And there's a parallel passage in the, in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, that says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you do your deeds to be seen of men. You enlarge your phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of your garments. Now let me tell you what that means. The Orthodox Jew, in response to an Old Testament command, wore a phylactery on his forehead. It was a little box that contained Scripture. And they bound it around their forehead and on their arms. And here were these Orthodox Jews. They still do that. If you go to Israel, you see them with these phylacteries on their foreheads. And they wore those and they felt real spiritual. And they were, thinking, they were saying, I wonder if they know how they can see my box. I wonder if they know how spiritual I am. So Jesus said, in order to be seen, they enlarged their box. Who knows how big they got, you know. In my weird sense of humor, I could just see one of them with a box about the size of a refrigerator crate tied to the top of his head with a scripture on a butcher paper roll just, you know, inside there. And, and he was thinking, man, look how spiritual I am with this phylactery big enough for everybody to see. Reminds me of the guy my seminary professor told about. He was eating dinner one night at a large restaurant. And it was noisy in there. And he said, all of a sudden, a guy got up with a loud voice and said, could I have your attention, please? Could I have your attention? He said, we're religious folks. This is a religious group. And we're fixing to eat our dinner, and we always have prayer before our dinner. He said, could y'all get quiet so we could have our prayer? He said, everybody kind of quieted down. In a real pious way, you know, this guy said this prayer for his little group over there. Well, the Pharisees' prayer and giving was to the sound of trumpets. I mean, they, whenever they got ready to pray, somebody, you know, gave a fanfare, you know. When they started to give, somebody blew a trumpet because to them, spirituality was what folks saw. Now here comes the third mark of spirituality. It's not dressing up something so people can be impressed. It's not having your name down somewhere. It's not with trumpets and with fanfare. It's not just show. It's not the clothes you wear or the prayer you pray or the verbiage you spout. It's genuine and real. That's spirituality. Ah, we know what to say, don't we? We got the right phrases, we got the verbiage, we got all that. 
It's not what it is, Jesus said. Fourth response. It's found in verse 44. Read it with me. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Now, let me tell you what that means. In that ancient world, they buried people out, you know, near their homes, etc. And, and they had these little gravestones with little grave to, little gravestones with graves. And when, the, when it was time for the pilgrims to come to Jerusalem for the feasts, they'd go out there and they'd whitewash those gravestones so, it, so people could see there's a grave there. Because if you walked on a grave, you were defiled for a week, for seven days, and couldn't take part in the feast. And so these folks would go out there and they'd whitewash those tombs so people coming by could see it was a grave. And he said, now sometimes folks forget to whitewash the tomb and people come along and not knowing there's a grave there, step on it and get defiled. He said, you're like that. Now let me tell you what he meant by that. He said, sometimes folks are not aware of the fact that death and defilement is there because it's concealed. Ah. Oh. Now, I want to, we say out in Knox County, Texas, I want to hold right up against the corn here, the cotton. I want to hold right up against the cotton. What he's saying is that spirituality is a matter of openness and honesty and reality. And spiritual folks, he's saying, are people who are willing to be transparent, vulnerable, and open. They don't hide stuff behind masks and veneers. They don't put these veneers around themselves and conceal what they really are. They're transparent and they're honest. Let me tell you what, that's, that's hard. It's a whole lot easier to add an external activity than to be honest with God and with others, isn't it? I was reading somewhere the other day about the, the life of the crayfish. Now you can see I live an exciting life. Uh, we call them crawdads, you know, back out in West Texas, but a crayfish is exoskeletal, which means his skeleton is on the outside of his body as opposed to ours being on the inside. And a crayfish has this hard shell, this shell around himself, hard as a, as a rock. And, and, and once a year, the crayfish, you're going to be so glad you got this information. Once a year, the crayfish goes through a process called molting. And they wiggle and they struggle and they strain and what they're trying to do is to break this outer shell. It's a tortuous process. Sometimes they, their legs break off. But in the process of breaking this outer shell, they're, they're struggling for growth because that's the only time during the year that the crayfish grows. See, the way he grows is that he breaks this outer shell. You got that? Now... Our bodies are not like the crayfish, but our souls are. And there is no growth apart from a willingness to moat. There is no growth until we are willing to 
break this outer shell and this phony veneer that characterizes most of us. For spirituality is not a place where you arrive. It is a journey. It's a road. And the only way to grow is to break that outer shell. And what that means is that I am willing to be open and vulnerable and honest and transparent. I'm just what I am, you see. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, some of us put on these, this veneer and this outer shell. And somebody says, how you doing? Oh, great, great. We wouldn't share with somebody that we're dying inside for anything. I heard a guy preach one time. He said he was in a service, and he said everybody there was giving testimonies. He said, man, how's it going in your church? Great, boy, it's wonderful. Everything is just A1, just wonderful. And he said, when everything was through, one guy got up at the back and he said, I won't tell you, it ain't wonderful with me. He said, I'm dying. He said, my church, my folks don't like me and they're trying to get rid of me. He said, I'm having problems in my own family. He said, does anybody in here care about somebody who's dying? You see, we're not going to be able to be a fellowship of love and and unity until we're willing to take off this veneer and be open and honest with one another to say, hey, I'm on a pilgrimage and I'm struggling and I need you and you need me. Transparency. Oh, that's tough, isn't it? Paul Simon put it like this, and I'm through. The day is a deep, dark December. I alone... And gazing out my window to the street below on a freshly fallen shroud of snow, I am a rock. I am an island. I built walls deep and mighty that no one could penetrate. I have no need of friendships. Friendships cause pain. It's laughter and loving that I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk to me about love. I've heard that word before. It lies sleeping in my memory. And I'll not disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I I had never loved, I never would have cried. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor. Hiding in my room, I'm safe within the womb. I touch no one. And no one touches me. I'm a rock. I'm an island. And rocks feel no pain. And islands don't cry. Whoever wrote that has to be the most miserable man on God's good earth. For no man is an island. We were put here to touch God and to touch one another. And spiritual folks do. So in summation, spirituality is a matter of the heart. Spirituality spirituality never gets far from the basics. Spirituality is more than talk. Spirituality 
is openness and transparency and vulnerability. Would you pray with me? God, we have a burning desire to please you. But in that desire to please you, we are so often sidetracked what that means. And now in an open, honest evaluation of our own heart, we come before you. and pray that you will see into us, sift us. Let us know what we are, what we're really like, what we do to our neighbor, how we really feel about you. And may the decision we make today in this place be a decision that glorifies the Father and His Son. There are three invitations. Would you look here? One invitation is to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. What is really on the inside? I'm not ask, I didn't say anything about are you a church member? Are you a Baptist? Baloney. What is it really like on the inside of you and me? Do you know the miracle of the regenerating, transforming new birth? An invitation this morning to be totally honest with God concerning your relationship to Him or to church membership. Would you, would you let God tell you what He wants you to do and be willing to do it while we stand? and sing.